I've only taken one of my kids to the emergency room, and it was really a pretty embarrassing story. Stephen was 18 months old at the time, and he had been sick. And you know how kids are when they're sick. They don't sleep real well, and they, they kind of make life um, just a little bit more difficult for everyone involved. And we thought he was getting over it, and so we went out of town that weekend to visit some family, only to be woken up by him screaming at about 4.30 in the morning. And I don't know about you, but 4.30 is right at that line that I'd rather stay up till rather than wake up at. And so I'm, you know, very confused. What's going on? You have a, a child who's screaming, kind of rolling around on the floor. And so my first thought is demon possession. <laughs> but we start to try to figure out what's going on. And uh, neither one of us went to medical school, so we don't actually know what's going on. And we take out the digital thermometer and we, we take his temperature. And we look at it and it says, too low. And we did, as no first-time parent should ever do, and we Googled that. (laughs) Don't do that. Uh, And it said, like, seek emergency medical attention. Okay. So we get in the car, and, you know, he's still screaming. He's kind of thrashing around, and we drive 90, you know, on a 45. And we get there really quickly. And even at 4.30 in the morning, they make you wait at the emergency room. And you're like, nobody's here. So, but... But by the time we go back, Stephen has finally calmed down. Everything seems okay, but now we're going back, and so now you're just like, ugh, a little, he's probably fine, but here we are. They, they looked him over, they, you know, did all the doctors do, and they came back that he may have had a night terror, but, but he's okay. And we're like, oh, of course, we did the thing that first-time parents do and jumped the gun. And, you know, to kind of rub salt in our wound, so to speak, they, on our discharge papers, they wrote under Stephen's diagnosis, they wrote childhood. So, (laughs) that was awesome. And then they made us pay for it, so. (laughs) My name is Cale Courtright. I am the spiritual formation minister here at Crosspoint, and we are so glad that you are here today to worship with us. If you're one of our guests today, we're especially glad that you're here, and we hope that you have felt right at home here with our family here at Crosspoint. And so uh, we are right in the middle of a series called Words to Live By. And these are coming, this series is coming from the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And we turn to these, and we call them Words to Live By because we truly believe that. In our lives, there are a lot of competing voices. There are a lot of opinions out there about how you should live your life, how you should orient your life. And we believe as Christians that following the words of Jesus are the best, is the best way to live. And that's what we believe. And so we thought, what better place to go than the Sermon on the Mount, where for three chapters, Jesus just sits down and he teaches, and he lines out for his followers, for you and I, what life should look like, what his followers should do, what kind of people they should be. And so that's why we're turning here today. Because we believe that Jesus is worthy of our trust, and he's worthy of our whole life. And when he says that we should live a certain way, we want to follow that. A lot of what we've seen is that he is calling us to a life uh, that is free. It's free from sin and temptation. It's free to love others. And today we'll look at a passage. He calls us to be free from worry, free to trust him, and rather than being enslaved by anything else. 
And this can be a challenging message for us today because we are the kind of people who have much. And when you have much, you have much to worry about. And so we will go to the passage now. So if you have a Bible, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6 today. And we're going to start in verse 19. All the scriptures today will be on the, on the screen, but if you have a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 6. It says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So imagine for a minute that you are sitting on the hillside where Jesus is teaching this. And the people that he is teaching to are probably a little different than you and I. See, Jesus is not teaching to those who are what we would call wealthy. Though eventually he he will have some wealthier followers. At this time, he probably is followed by mainly who we would consider poor. It's not people who have nothing. They just don't have an abundance. And so these are the kind of people that come to Jesus and they get a message of do not be enslaved by money. You can only have one master. See, we know in our world today that global poverty is actually getting a lot better. That there are less and less people every day that we would consider in extreme poverty. But still today we find about a billion people in the world that live on less than a dollar a day and three billion that live on less than two dollars a day. And before you think that, well, uh, cost of living makes that okay, no country in the world you have a great life on less than $1,000 a year. And so that is what we would consider the poorest of the poor today. And when we come to this passage, we would actually sit in the seat of the wealthy. Wealthier than those who heard the message for the first time and generally wealthier than the average person worldwide. And so if Jesus thinks that this is an appropriate message for his followers, how much more appropriate is it for us who find ourselves among the wealthy? Jesus knows that our relationship with money, our relationships with our possessions will be a challenge for us in this life. And so this message that he preaches is about wealth, but it's really about idolatry. What Jesus has consistently done in the Sermon on the Mount is he has consistently reached back into the Old Testament and he's, and he's built a bridge from the words of Moses till now. He has, as he says, fulfilled the law. He is taking it a step further. And so in this passage, he takes a step to Exodus chapter 20. And this is found in the Ten Commandments. And he's, he's reaching back to this that says, you must not have any other God but me. That sounds familiar, does it? doesn't it? You cannot have two masters, for you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. When he says treasures, he's asking about where do you put your focus on? Where do you put your joy in? Is it in God? Is it in the only thing that is eternal? 
or is it in something temporary? See, we often get this passage backwards. A lot of times we read it, and we read it thinking, where our heart is, there our treasures will be. That's where they will show up. But what Jesus says is, where your treasures are, there your heart will follow. And so the question for us today is, where are your treasures? We need to know where our treasures are, because it will show us where our heart is. And over and over, we see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is calling for us to give him, for us to give him our heart. That's what he wants. He doesn't want empty gestures. He doesn't want empty words. He wants your heart. This is at the core of who we are. Are we going to serve him and give him everything or not? And so how do you know where your treasures are going? And let me give you an example that might help illustrate this. That has nothing to do with money. Uh, There was a couple who, they were younger, they were new Christians, and the husband went to a Christian counselor because they were having trouble in their marriage. And he said, I need your help, I need to save my marriage. And, And the counselor asked him, is your marriage important to you? Do you want to save your marriage? And he said, absolutely, there is nothing more important to me. And the counselor replied, well, then we have a chance. So tell me about your life. And the gentleman went on to describe how Things at work are, are really good. He's climbing the ladder. He's having a lot of success there. And he is, on the weekends, he spends a lot of time playing sports with his friends. Um, and indeed, this person was a college athlete. He had numerous records that still stood at his university. So he was in, it was very important to him to engage in athletic pursuits. And the counselor knew to himself, he knew this man is investing But what he's investing in is not what he says he wants to invest in. And so he told the man, well, either you are a liar or Jesus is a liar. Because what Jesus says is where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And what you are investing in is in everything else but your marriage. So where is your treasure today? Where is your heart going today? Because we know that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You can pretty much find out where your heart is by asking someone close to you. If you have a spouse, ask them, and they will tell you what's important to them. They will tell you. If you think, my kids are really important to me, your spouse will be able to back that claim up or not. If you claim that your marriage is important, they'll know whether it is or not. And maybe that that example doesn't work for you. Maybe you could just a lot... Take an account of your last month. Think about where your time has been going and where your money has been going. Those are the two biggest indicators of where our treasure is. So if you think back to the last month, what have you been spending all your time on? Where has all of your money been going? Between that and those close to you, you will know where your treasure is. And then you will know where your heart is. And we need to ask ourselves these questions because we want... And we claim to be people who give our hearts over to God. And that's what our desire for our life is. And so we need to ask these questions. I think a really good biblical example of this is in the life of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, his story is found in Luke chapter 19. And what you see in his story is this is a man who is a tax collector. He has essentially betrayed his people by stealing from them to give to Rome. He has taken more than he, than he needs to because... We know where his treasure is. Zacchaeus is a rich man because 
he has done something. He has not loved his neighbor. And so when he has an encounter with Jesus, he changes. Because when all of us have an encounter with Jesus, we change. I would go so far as to say is when you meet Jesus, when you encounter him, you have to change. You cannot meet Jesus and walk away the same. And Zacchaeus is no different. And so he walks away and he starts to be much more giving with his money. And he says, those who I've cheated, I will pay back multiple of whatever I took from them. You can see the change in his life. He was a person whose treasure was in things for himself. And he has turned and is now living for others. And so we ask the question for ourselves, how do we live this out? Well, one thing we noticed from the story of Jesus, and I was, was mentioned in our communion meditation today, that Jesus didn't have a lot. And to put better, Jesus lived simply. Jesus wasn't in the pursuit of more and more and more. He was living in a way that was much more simple. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you see that over and over again, Jesus required other people to live. He had people who essentially gave him meals, paid for his meals, Um, He was sponsored, essentially, from other people. And so we do the same. We should be in the pursuit to live simply, not in the accumulation of more and more. And this may look different for each of you, but that Jesus' kingdom ethic is what we all pursue, even if it looks different for us. And this passage is really a passage about how you love others, how you love your neighbor as yourself. If you are in the pursuit of more and more and more for yourself, where do you leave room for others? So Jesus wants us to live with our heart focused on him and the love of others. Because he knows that we cannot serve two masters. And we must choose the right one. And he continues in Matthew chapter 6. So we'll still be over there. And he says, therefore. And when you see that in your Bible, you know that whatever you just read is important for the next part. And so this is what he continues to say. Verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more important than food and your body more important than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store foods in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Again, look back on who Jesus is talking to here. I want to point out that Jesus isn't talking to people in the midst of a famine, and he's also not talking about people who are the most, maybe the most poor in the community. These are people who don't have a lot, but he's speaking to them about their everyday life. How will you be oriented in your everyday life? Do you live a life of worry, or do you live a life 
of trust in God. Because he says, when you serve God, there is no place for worry. When you've given your whole heart to him, there is no need for worry. People who follow God will not be the kind of people who worry. And we look at his metaphor. Look at the two examples he brings up. He talks about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Things that they probably saw every day, that you and I see every day. How commonplace are these things? He says, if God cares for them, won't he care for you also? Back in Genesis chapter 1, it says that when God made, it said he, he said it was good. And when he created, he said it was good. Everything he made, he called good, except for one thing. And that's you and I. When he created you, he called you very good. He created you in his image. He set you apart as something more, as something better. And so if God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, will he not too care for you? And sometimes we forget that. That God is a God that's worthy of our trust. And we have a lot of things that we could be worried about. We could be worried about our health or the health of our children. We could be worried about our finances. We could be worried about our kids or our grandkids. We could turn on the news and worry about the state of the world and our nation. And you tell me what you worry, and I'll tell you where you struggle to trust God. Because when we worry, what it's about is about that we want to put some control on things in our life. And when we worry, it's, it's essentially telling God, Those, that's an area that I don't feel like I can trust you. Because though God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, if we ask, will he, if we ask, will he care for you also? If we were honest, we might say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know that I can trust God in this. And so we struggle to give him the control because we're not sure he's worthy of our trust. We're not sure he'll come through for us. We're not sure that he will love, I'm not sure he'll love my child like I love my child. And praise God that he doesn't. He loves my children better than I could ever love my children. Sometimes we forget that. This is the kind of God we have that he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of your whole life. And when we worry, we essentially say, God, I don't know that you're worthy. We say we believe God. We say we trust God. We say that we know it's God who sustains us. And oftentimes our lives reflect just the opposite, that we trust ourselves rather than God. Our way as followers is to be different, to give our whole life over to him. Every four years or so, I become an expert in a sport that I, have, that I know nothing about. When the Olympics come on, you know, you watch all those sports that you never see otherwise. And you start talking about the backstroke and dolphin kicks and, you know, the balance beam. Um, but we love the Olympics. And we love it for a few reasons. It's, it's always right there in that time of the year that you're waiting for football to start, but it hasn't quite started yet. And... Uh, you get to root for your country. You get to support your team. And it's just a lot of fun. And yet, the thing that I love the most about the Olympics is when you hear their stories. And you get, before the event starts or between it, you know, the, the announcers are talking about where this person is from and all that they've been through. And they, they flash over to the parents who have been there all along, right? Because, and they make those awesome commercials about it's not them, it's the mom behind them or whatever. Um, but... I love hearing those stories. And in it, you get inspired because you see that these people have been solely focused. They have been on a pursuit for something their whole life. 
They set a big goal and they are going to attain it. And I think what God would say is our focus, our desire, and our pursuit should likewise be for his kingdom. Essentially, that's what he says in our passage is, seek first my kingdom. Because when we do that, everything changes. These things that we think are worthy of our worry, are worthy of our concern, they fall away when we are transformed by our seeking of his kingdom. And so we need to be the kind of people that seek his kingdom. Because in this passage, what I don't want you to hear is that money or possessions don't matter. They matter, but mattering is not the same as worshiping. And God's concerned about where we place our worship. Our worship is in him alone. And so we seek out God through spiritual disciplines like prayer and scripture because we want to be oriented towards him. We want our whole life to be pointed towards him in the pursuit of his kingdom. And that's the kind of people that we are. Because if we do that, then, then we will lead a worry-free life. There's two other things that we can do to lead a worry-free life. And the first one we just did, but it's to give. When you give, you start to lead a worry, less of a worry-free life. Because giving is an important discipline. And it's important for a couple of reasons. Yes, we need funds here to keep the lights on and to engage in the ministry that we want to do here. It's so important for those reasons. But the better reason is for what it does to our own hearts when we give. I told you this is a passage about how we love others. And giving plays a significant role in that. We give because that is how one way that we love others. But it it does something to your heart when you give. You You might say if one of your worries is over your finances... You might be, it might be recommended to you to give. And it sounds like a paradox where you might think you need more and God wants to train your heart to trust in him. And so you give because that's what he has commanded us to do. See, again, Jesus isn't against your money or your possessions, but what he, what he wants us to see is that he has blessed you so that you can bless others. He's, he's not against money, but he's against us hoarding it for ourselves. He's not against your possessions, but his, your, the possessions that you have, he's blessed you with so that you can serve others with them, not to not let anyone else have touch. And so I love this quote by Albert Schweitzer. It says, if you own something you cannot give away, then you don't own it, it owns you. If you own something you cannot give away, then you don't own it, it owns you. It could be the money in, your money in the bank. It could be that possession that you wouldn't want anyone else to touch. If you go to your mind right now, there might be something you're thinking of. And that is what Jesus said. Don't be enslaved by that. We're called to give our whole life, our whole trust over to Jesus. He is the only one worthy of our trust. And the second thing we do is that we live out the end of that passage we read, that this is a daily practice. This is something that we do every day. Because when we start to get a foot in Not only today, but in tomorrow, and next week, and next month, and next year, that's when the worries start. Jesus says, there's enough to worry about today, let tomorrow be tomorrow. When we're present today, we can turn everything over to him. And Jesus knows that worries are going to come up. There is no shame that when you walk out of here today and and a worry comes to your mind, that's not what he's talking about. What he does want you to do is he wants you to place it with the only one who's worthy of that. 
So we give it over to Jesus every time. We don't hold on to our worries, but when they come up, we give it over to him. That's what he wants from our life. That's what he calls us to do. And just like we talked about a couple weeks ago with sin and temptation, with sin and temptation, Jesus called us to be the kind of people that would cut it off, that would do anything to avoid temptation out of a pursuit of holiness. And I think he would say the same about worry. You know your life. You know the places that cause you worry. What will you do to minimize that? What will you do to cut that off? I mean, if it's your kids, don't cut them off. But what... You know, maybe you have a practice of spending a little bit too much time on social media. And when you go there and you go and you see maybe what other people have or portray to have, and it causes you to feel anxiety about your own life. Or maybe you get on and and it's something else that triggers you. Or maybe you're the kind of person that just needs to turn off the news because we spend too much time there understanding that their whole goal is to cause worry in you. Because the more worried you are, the more that you watch. That's their entire goal. And so maybe we need to be the kind of people that turn down those sources and pick up the source of life, which is Jesus. I don't know what it is for you, but think about where your worry comes from and how you can give it over to him. Because we can have a worry-free existence when we do believe and live out that God is our loving, creating, and sustaining Father. This is the life that Jesus wants for us. And it is there to take. In closing, I want to ask Brad and the praise team to come back up. And you may have noticed on either wall we have a table set up. And today we want to practice this daily living. God knows that worries are going to come up in your life. But the only, we don't hold on to those. We turn those over to him because we know that he is worthy of our trust. We know that his life is the best life to lead, so we want to lean into that. So what we ask you to do in a minute, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And you can go over there and you can write down the word or the phrase, what it is that causes you to worry, causes you to have anxiety. Because what we want you to do is we want you to leave that here today. Symbolically, you'll write it and you'll leave it here today. Understanding that it will be prayed over, that it is in God's hands. But we also know that this is not something that we do alone. Our elders and their wives will be around the wall today. And we ask that you go to them if you need prayers. Because this is something that we do together. We believe that Jesus' way to life is the best way to life. And we want to live that out. Won't you come as we stand and sing?